0: Now, studios. Okay, so getting ready for work. And my jeans, my favorite jeans, they ain't fitting like they used to. Same thing for my Star Trek t shirt. I'm like, what the heck is going on? Then I figure the heat setting on my clothes dryer must be too high. It's shrinking up all my clothes. It's ridiculous. So grabbing my phone, hey Siri. Call a dryer repair person to come out here quick, right away, in a hurry. At this rate, I'm not going to have anything to wear. And this is a newest dryer, too. Shouldn't the company be liable for ruining my clothes? Somebody's going to pay. That was my favorite shirt, and I'm working up the head of steam at the outrage of defective product manufacturers in today's society. When I hear a distant part of my brain say, um," I ask myself, yes, what is it I'm trying to say to myself? Myself says, I don't know, dog. Maybe it's not the dryer? What you mean? Maybe you can spend a little bit more time working out. Uh Uh-oh. I put down the phone, head out to the gym. Now I'm sweating on this stupid elliptical, medieval, torture device thing, and it sucks. And I'm thinking we got the satellites, right? The artificial intelligence, self-driving cars, virtual reality, all this. I got to flop around here like it's the 1980s just to fit back into my own jeans is crazy. I mean, look, if the Russians can hack our democracy with absolute impunity, shouldn't I be able to hack a smaller belt size? Surely. Not just for starters. I want to shoot lasers from my eyes. Get the X-ray vision we were promised back in elementary school. Isn't it time that technology met the man? Now, today on Snap Judgment, we're gonna speed this process along from WNYC Studios and Snap Judgments orbiting Hall of Justice. We proudly present: I sing the body electric. Amazing stories of the human interface. My name is Tim Washington. Robot butlers for everybody. When you're listening to Snap Judgment. You ever want to cheat death to just type into your iphone not today satan because i'm gonna live forever well if so this is for you sensitive listeners should know that this story contains visceral images of live surgery snap judgment
1: i remember when i was like oh geez i was just a little kid In our area, there was a serial killer going around, Richard Ramirez. He was breaking into people's houses and killing people. My parents were really concerned about this. I could overhear them in the other room and saying, wow, that's just on the street. I just remember thinking, well, if he comes in and I die, then then that's it, I go to heaven. There are a lot of points in my childhood that I remember thinking, hey, let it come.
2: What religion was your family?
1: I don't know if I want to like expose that or I don't know. I guess we'll have to talk about it with the uh, court stuff, right?
2: Well, I mean, look, it's all up to you. Okay.
1: Hey, Ryan. Yeah. Hey, uh, are you LDS by chance? Yeah. You are? Okay. I I hope I'm not going to offend you with. (laughs) Okay. All right. We're good. We're cool, man. Okay. All right. Okay. LDS is Latter-day Saint what most people call the Mormon church. So I grew up in a Mormon household thinking that the apocalypse was coming soon. You know, after a war and famine, Christ will return and just burn all the wicked and good people will go to heaven. If you can go to heaven, you can achieve godhood yourself. To me, that was very appealing as a kid because, you know, that's like superpowers. You know, I'm going to be able to teleport or whatever. If you could get to heaven, you could do anything you want flying, creating stars, creating a Big Bang, an eternity of entertainment. I just had complete faith in that, and I was looking forward to it. I thought, you know, the sooner it ends, the better. There was a few other times, too, like camping. When I was 12, I was at this Boy Scout camp, and this one bear had mauled like a bunch of kids. They had people out trying to catch it or kill it or something, and and they kept it open. They just they just kept this camp open. At night, this thing would come through our camps, and then you'd hear crashing here or there. It was like Jurassic Park, you know, where you just see this like this shadow on your tent, the breath, you know, it's like right by your head. This Boy Scout camp was like a week long. One day, I was walking down a hill, and all of a sudden, here's this bear like right on this trail that i'm going down i froze and it froze for a second too and then it just started approaching me i was like okay this is how i go out let it come let it kill me but uh it walked towards me and then it just turned and walked off the other direction i didn't have much survival instinct i don't think on one end of it it's good because the alternative was you know having a lot of anxiety about the situation and pissing myself but um maybe i was not so safe because I, i didn't really fear death and now i fear it like crazy the last thing i want to do is die when i was 17 or 18 i started hanging out with kids that were really like counterculture i guess in utah I'm smoking pot, I'm not graduating high school. I just kind of got in this spiral of self doubt, self loathing, and just despair about me being able to actually get to heaven. Like, okay, well, here's something I, I can't live up to. I think I'm an atheist. I don't have a reason to, to believe anymore. That's when it got scary for me because I had thought about death now and. I just thought, when I die, I'm dead? That's just bleak. Now it got real. And Then I put into perspective how much time we get on Earth, and now that there's not eternal life, it's scary. So I kind of grasped onto science. I fantasized a lot as a kid. I read a lot of comic books. I was really into, like, sci-fi stuff, like the Jetsons, and futuristic technologies. Like, I would daydream about visiting other worlds and flying around in rockets and space travel. Futuristic technologies like jetpacks and longevity drugs, those actually offered a way in this lifetime to fly or to have eternal life. Basically, technology is advancing exponentially. So that became my new hope. That filled the religion void. Immortality can now be done scientifically. I just gotta wait it out. After the death of my grandmother is when things really started to change. She was kind of a pack rat, and she had just tons of stuff that she collected over the years. So I'm going through all these really old magazines that dated back from the 40s through the 90s. I'm seeing the first artificial heart iron lungs that are getting smaller and people are like, wow, you know, if things keep advancing like this, then in the future, you know, maybe everyone can have an artificial heart. My poor grandmother, she, if she would have just stayed alive a few more years, she would have been immortal, but she died like right at the finish line. But then I kept reading these magazines and looking at these predictions, like in the year 2000, your family will be able to take a family vacation to the moon. And in the year 1999, humans will have a 200-year lifespan. They missed the mark by a long ways. There's no difference between the articles that I was reading in my grandmother's basement and the articles that I was reading now. They're all saying 30 years from now, everyone's going to be immortal because the advancement of technology is just so fast. You know, So just hang in there. These things don't exist. They may never exist. All those people that were reading those articles back then are dead now. The only way I was going to realize any of these things was to do it myself. There's a very small town in Utah that hosts this international film festival. They invite minor celebrities and things like that. I went out to this film festival. I think it was a Godzilla theme. And there's like this after party. And then I'm introduced to Poppy. Poppy was poor college student, she uh, didn't have money to get her tonsils removed. Uh, She went to the library and researched everything that was involved in a tonsillectomy and then took a bottle of whiskey and uh, something to cauterize and she removed her own tonsils. She went to a doctor afterwards and the doctor looked at it and, and said, wow, you know what? This is a really good job. She seemed like a regular person to me. But I think a lot of people were just, you know, creeped out by it and just thought, oh, that's, that's really gross. What a weird person. Me, I was just fascinated. And I just thought that was the coolest thing. You got to be hardcore to be able to pull something like that off. After the death of my grandmother is when I started the biohacking stuff really hard. I just started researching everything that I could uh, online. And I... Honestly, thought I was all alone. I, I thought, you know, nobody else has an idea this, this crazy. And then I ran across somebody's blog, a person by the name of Left Anonym. And Left Anonym was implanting magnets in their finger. And people just started collaborating in a, a blog comment section. So we started a forum and it really just took off. You know, it went from hundreds of members to thousands of members and tens of thousands. My first upgrade was the finger magnet. I wave my hand and the magnet inside my fingertip is vibrating in response to electromagnetic fields around me. Here's an otherwise invisible world and I feel it like it was a texture. It was like having a sixth sense. Grinding is a term from gaming terminology. You take your character and you just methodically battle the same people over and over and get the items or level up your character but it's a very methodical slow character improvement a grinder's focus is their own body a lot of my modifications have come and gone over the years i've got a biotherm chip in my forearm for reading my temperature nfc chips in my hands NFC chips can be programmed to open up doors. You can use it as a security measure on your phone. Um, Some people start their cars with their NFC tag. In 2006 or 2007, I just woke up one day and my eye was blurry. I went into an eye doctor and they basically told me that it's like a serious vision loss. I just need a cornea transplant to correct the problem. I didn't have insurance at the time, and if I did have insurance, I probably couldn't even afford the (laughs) co-pays. And I was kind of scared because my doctor was telling me the other eye could go any day. And then I thought, well, I won't be able to drive a forklift at work. I won't be able to drive to work. Typing on the computer is going to be difficult. Reading anything will be difficult. And my family was depending on me. My wife wasn't working. And, you know, I had two little ones at home. So I decided to create an echolocation device that would let out a bunch of clicking noises and I'd navigate my surroundings with audio. I want to do something in the ultrasonic range so that people couldn't hear the clicking noises. I was able to rig up a small device and do some tests. I was standing in my kitchen hearing a series of clicks. I turned around because I suddenly became aware of this space that just kind of opened up behind me it's really hard to explain my wife at the time opened up a door behind me into our garage area I just thought wow this is really powerful from there I created these implanted headphones but funny enough the implants that I got ended up not working unfortunately for echolocation (laughs) basically the audio that I had was mono you definitely need stereo to properly echolocate You know, in retrospect, it's kind of embarrassing, but it wasn't a total loss at all. I still was able to hook it up to heat sensors and hear heat at a distance. I hooked it up to a Geiger counter and was kind of looking for radiation. I did find some in my home in the walls. I had a contact microphone set up on my ankle, and I could hear off in the distance footsteps like they were thunder. I frequently would hook it up to music, I'd listen to podcasts, take phone calls, all kinds of different things. When I was injecting the CRISPR plasmid, I was a little bit nervous. I was like, oh, I really hope this doesn't result
2: in cancer. Could you briefly explain what you did?
1: I grew up a bunch of this plasmid that would knock out the gene responsible for signaling your muscles to deteriorate. Basically when your body has to decide uh, between metabolizing fat or muscle, now it doesn't really have the option to metabolize muscle. So you're going to keep all your muscular gains which throughout your life add up. So if you knock out this gene then basically you'll keep all the muscle that you
2: have until the day you die. So Spider-Man powers, or whose powers would they most be analogous to?
1: Oh geez, um... Maybe Captain America. He's pretty old, and he's still got a lot of his muscles. So, <laughs> so I I injected that, and it didn't really work out like I I thought it
2: would. So, just nothing happened, right?
1: Right, nothing happened. But there was nothing wrong—no infection or tumor.
2: Are you going to try that again?
1: Yeah, using a different method. There's another biohacker working on it. It's it's been six months, and the guy's lost four inches off of his waist and 25 pounds. Without really changing much at all in his lifestyle.
2: What for you is a step too far in terms of biohacking?
1: I don't think that I have any limits, to be honest. As far as I'm concerned, like uh, anything I want to do with my body, I think I've got the right to do that as long as it's not going to affect anyone else. I'm always going to be pushing limits. I'm open to things like deep brain stimulators, which would require. My head being opened It's not something that of course that i would do on a diy uh, <laughs> garage uh, operating table but uh, you know
2: yeah and what would you want deep brain stimulation for
1: uh, so deep brain stimulators can be used for all kinds of different things um you know if if you've got a deep brain stimulator in one part of your brain and, and you trigger it it may cause you to smell bacon you know, something simple like that. <laughs> you want to smell bacon? <laughs> a, a bacon on demand, you know, just ha- just having a button you could push to smell bigger. <laughs> uh, I had some neurosurgeons ask me what I would do. These are things that deep brain stimulators have been successful in doing. And so the two that I picked were the removal of pain. Push a button and whatever pain you're in just goes away. And then the other one, sorrow. Those are the two most miserable parts
0: of life. Find out exactly how far Rich will go to enhance his God-given body. On Snap Judgment, the I Sing the Body Electric episode returns. Stay tuned. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. get things done faster and more efficiently. So when you think about business, think Odoo. To learn more, visit odoo.com slash snap. That's O-D-O-O dot com slash snap. Welcome back to Snap Judgment. When last we left Rich Lee, he was pushing the limits of exactly how far he would go to technologically enhance his own body.
1: My oldest son is now 15 years old. He's a lot like his dad, he's he's pretty nerdy. We have some really nerdy conversations. My daughter, she's really social. Uh, she's just turned 12 and very mature for her age. Her and I have some really deep adult discussions. They're great, I really couldn't ask for for better kids when I first started getting different modifications and things like that, I would show my kids, and they just thought it was amazing. I'd go to pick them up from school, and they'd to their friends. They'd say, "Hey, come meet my dad! You got to see this. Check this out. He's a cyborg. I've got this trick where I can put my finger inside their ear, and they'll be able to hear the audio coming out of my fingertip." Oh, wow, cool, neat. They thought it was the coolest thing in the world that they had a cyborg dad. You know, who could uh, move magnets on a table with his finger. So they started off thinking it was really cool, and then that all changed about a year after my divorce. I got some implants in my shins, this foam that is really soft and flexible. Until it's struck by something hard, it becomes rock hard like stone. This foam could uh, stop the full force of a baseball bat. There was a project that was going on in the forums for about four years to test out how this would work in the human body by taking a biosafe tube and stuffing it with this foam and, you know, inserting these rods inside the body. I was kind of the guinea pig for this thing. So I was at my friend's place. He has a surgery room, and I had two friends that performed the procedure that lasted a few hours, and it was really gruesome. Sorry, Rich. Yeah, that's what's that, man. Yeah. There are a few moments where I I was in extreme agony. I mean, just excruciating pain because I had this basically metal rod that was being shoved down my shin and scraping the connective tissue away from the bone and, and, and making a tunnel so that this tube would fit into that new cavity.
0: What I'm doing is I'm putting up tissue because otherwise I'm never going to be able to suture that <laughs> without a little bit of luck, extra skin. Yeah.
1: At the time, it was definitely the worst pain I had ever experienced despite having uh, lidocaine injections, which really didn't work too well. Every time they shoved the rod in, I felt it. That tissue feels pretty tight, huh? Yeah, totally. So got over that shin right there. I felt every slice. I've just got to power through it. Whew, that was some work, man. That think one will be easier. How's that feel? That was rough. Um, I didn't really feel like I was pressured to, to do it or anything. I was I was wanting to actually get it done so that I could come back with something to show and say that, you know, we worked really hard on this project for four years and here's the results potentially it has applications if you've got brittle bones for astronauts helping protect their bones. I would be happy just to be able to you know, tie-kick my coffee table like a boss. After the operation I really didn't take as good a care of myself as I should have. I got in the car and I drove six hours from the place that I got it done back home. and I'd hate to sit down after that because as soon as I stood up more excruciating pain. And so I I ended up riding around one of these little motorized uh, scooters in the grocery store, and my kids just followed behind me, just making fun of me. I think if I did that implant again, I'd do the implant on the forearms, but definitely not the shins. It was a bad idea (laughs) in retrospect. My ex-wife, she had seen my YouTube video of this procedure, that was really gory and it freaked her out. She was supposed to have the kids back to me at a certain time and she didn't show up. And so I started calling. She wouldn't reply to my voicemails. I was sending texts and then I finally just said, I'm on my way over to your place right now. And then she called me and just said, hey, you know what? I saw the video that you made online and you can forget it. You're not getting the kids back. I felt horrible. I felt helpless. I thought that we had come to an amicable agreement that we were going to share custody of the kids 50-50. It felt awful. And then she is telling them, this thing your dad did to his shins, this is, like, not something a sane person does. You know, this is crazy. And they've been going to therapy to, like, help the kids with their trauma related to dad's crazy biohacking experiments. The way that it was presented to the therapist, you know, is that I insert random pieces of metal into my body in order to become a perfect human. It just painted me as, like, this absolute mad, crazy person, like, who just randomly puts metal in their body. I went from being a hero to being possibly mentally unstable in their eyes. I just felt completely alienated at that point. I wasn't eating. I dropped like 20 pounds. I couldn't sleep. I was just thinking about my kids and how how they must view me now. Now they think that their dad's a psychotic and is self-mutilating. So I, I threw up a crowdfunding campaign. The transhumanist community came out, and I was able to raise a lot of money to be able to pay for my attorney's. I wouldn't have even made it in the court doors without this. I was just so grateful. Everyone in the biohacking community was prepared to go to war legally with, like, say, the FDA. And nobody really thought of it from a family law perspective, and neither did I.
3: Today is Friday, September the 1st, 2017. We're here in the matter of Lee versus Lee
1: the council's main argument is that I shouldn't have kids because I'm biohacking.
2: I mean, it looks like it could have set a precedent that biohackers can't have kids.
1: Right. And that was a, a major concern because this is the first court case. What kind of precedents will this be setting? What her attorney presented is that what I had done was an act of self-mutilation and traumatizing to the kids. What the opposition counsel was asking for was that I not have any biohacking experiments in the house while the kids are around and that I should never talk about uh, biohacking around them it was going to be like, you know, I couldn't operate and do biohacking because eventually my kids would find out about it that's my my life's work, you know, is, is wrapped up in this biohacking stuff I have two things that I love Biohacking and my kids, they're basically trying to put me in a situation where I was going to lose both. Biohacking is weird to begin with. I'll be the first to admit that. But in a small city that I live in, it's especially weird. I spent hours with my attorney going over every single bullet point and debunking every claim. And I went into court feeling really prepared. The judge just came right out and he said, look, I don't want to hear anything more about biohacking.
3: As I sat here listening to this, I realized that I have uh, two screws in my ankle and leg because of a motorcycle accident. I've had cornea transplants in both eyes. I'd be blind without them. Uh, I know that plastic surgery is an accepted part of uh, society, breast augmentation. We all have procedures or things that we do in our lives. And and what the respondent does or doesn't do with his body is not an issue in this case, unless it affects the children negatively. And on a whole, I find that it hasn't and it doesn't. And in fact, there was some inference that they were kind of proud of that their dad Had some things that made him kind of cool.
1: There is no way I could lose this. Beyond that,
3: I've also found evidence that he's a good dad. He loves his kids. Any reasonable judge is just going to see right through it. He's busy with work, he's busy with biohacking. I don't find that uh, troubling, the biohacking. I don't find that troubling.
1: But um, I was sorely mistaken because the judge did not see things that way. When you go under oath, you're asked to raise your hand and swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help you God. If you're an atheist like I am, one thing you could ask the court to do is leave out the so help me God part. But this is something that like <laughs> not a lot of people do. And the clerk who is in charge of swearing people in had never heard of it before. And the judge had to coach her through it. I'm sorry, I'm looking for that closing argument here. One of the things in their closing statements brought up the fact that I was an atheist. I want to find the actual wording.
2: I've got a quote here. Did you find it? From their statement. Richard has openly rejected not only the idea of personal morality, but the very religious tradition upon which Western morality is based. He insisted that the children be raised in an atheistic environment He has openly stated his contempt for religion with their mother. The children receive traditional moral direction.
1: Yep. What they're proposing is that because I'm an atheist, I
3: somehow don't have any sense of morality. The factors that a court needs to look at is the past conduct and demonstrated moral standards of the parties. Everybody knows that. People in
1: positions of power here are Mormon for the most part.
3: Much was made about the respondents' alleged atheistic lifestyle. And while uh, this court can't take any position on uh, religion, at least the petitioner, stated that she would like to give her kids the chance to accept or reject religion. I'm not sure that the respondent would be willing to do that. You basically told me you aren't allowing
1: your children to go to church, of course, because I'm atheist, why would I? What the judge basically said is uh, it's not biohacking, that got you in this situation. It's that you're an amoral atheist.
2: What do you think happens after you die? I think you're worm food. Game over. Blank screen. Yep, that's it. And a lot of your life has been around trying to avoid that. Yeah, that's right. It's funny because, in a way, it all comes back to differences of opinion on the big question of what happens after you die you've got a certain way of dealing with the issue of death, which is I want to put that off for as long as possible and he's got his ideas around the issue of death, which is I want to you know, graduate to this eternal kingdom and that in a way is perhaps the fundamental issue of dispute here, which is very abstract for a custody case.
1: Yeah, it is. That's a that's a good point. Yeah, I, I think you nailed it. The judge is not supposed to discriminate on religious things like that. And I think that it did fall back on, on his own biases. Hearing the judge give his verdict.
3: I think it's in the kid's best interest not to have a 50-50 custody arrangement. I kind of feel like I'm, I'm in shock. I believe and find that it is in the kid's best interest to have mom be the primary custodial parent. And uh, I so conclude. It was the worst moment of my life. After the weekend, I want a new arrangement to start. Thank you, Aaron. All right, we're in recess.
2: What scares you most about death now?
1: I don't want to say that I'm scared. It would just be a dismay. Our universe is 13 billion years old. Our earth is only like four point something billion years old. Life's been on it for three. I get 75 years if I live a full life or whatever it is. And I don't get to see like all these amazing things. If I don't make it, then uh, I just didn't have enough time.
0: big thanks to Rich Lee for sharing your story with the Snap and love as well to filmmakers Lior Kaufman and Joe Eggender for their assistance look out for the upcoming biohacking documentary on Netflix they made, the original score was by Renzo Gorio that piece was produced by Lawrence Bull with assistance from our own Anna Sussman, find a link to Lawrence's work on our website snapjudgment.org If you miss even a moment Do yourself a favor Subscribe to the Snap Judgment Podcast Wherever you get your podcasts Get this one And if you like your storytelling In the dark of night In partnership with Luminary Media Get the Snap Judgment Presents Spooked Podcast All new 26 episode season Be afraid Snap Judgment is brought to you by the letter Y And the team that is 99% human parts Make some noise If you would for the Uber producer Mr. Mark Ristich, Pat Messini-Miller Anna Sussman Renzo Gorial Shayna Sheely, Liz Mack Liza Smith Leon Morimoto Lauren Newsom Marissa Dodge Flo Wiley Nancy Lopez John Facile Nicka Singh Taylor Dukat <sighs> And even though This is not the news No way is this the news In fact You could wake up in the morning To scratch your legs Only to realize That ain't your hand Scratching your leg And double yikes That ain't even your leg Being scratched And you would still Still, not be as far away from news as this is, but this is W-N-Y.